Uh, this morning we continue on in our Advent series titled There is Hope. Uh, we're in the penultimate part uh, of this series. We're going to spend time thinking about this theme, uh, There is Hope, next week on Christmas Day. This time next week's Christmas Day, guys. Um, uh, in between this week and next Sunday, as I've already said, we have our Christmas Eve services on. Um, and as you have been with us through this series, you will know, like the title says, uh, we've been thinking about this notion of hope, how important hope is to each one of our lives. Uh, we've thought about hope in the midst of the darkness that can so often surround us. Uh, we've looked at what it means to have hope in the messiness that can so often pervade us. Uh, last week, we spent time thinking about what it means to have hope in light of the promise of the promises that God has for us. And in particular, the promise of his son. This is what TJ looked at last week. To have hope because we have Jesus. This is the most important message of this Christmas season. It's a central message of the gospel that we can have Jesus in our lives. And when we have Jesus in our lives, that changes everything. Uh, this morning we're thinking about this idea of hope for the hopeless. Hope for the hopeless. Uh, for those who can see no way forward in life, the very worst of times that they find themselves in can in fact be replaced with hope. That doesn't necessarily change the situations they're in, but we can have hope in the midst of the challenges, the suffering, the despair, the hopelessness that we can experience. Uh, for us to understand this idea of hope for the hopeless in greater detail, we're going to take time to unpack Luke chapter 2 and verses 1 to 20. So Luke 2, 1 to 20. So if you have your Bibles, let's have a look at this passage. The words are going to be up on the screen. I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. So Luke writes these words for us, uh, starting in verse 1. So Luke 2 <clears throat> and in verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of a house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah of the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favours. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message we were told about this child. 
And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things we had seen and heard, which were just as we had been told. Amen. So, Father, this is your word. And we come before your word today. We pray that, that you would speak in great power. Lord, we, we don't want this to be an earthly exercise. We want this to be a divine appointment whereby your spirit you would speak and that we would respond in obedience and faith to what your word says. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So you may have seen in the news uh, this last week, uh, the 90s singer, Peter Andre. I know some of you are big fans. Uh, he was pleading with radio stations uh, to stop broadcasting the classic Christmas song by Andy Williams, the most wonderful time of the year. So he wrote an open letter to all UK radio stations saying that Christmas is in fact not the most wonderful time of the year and that the song is false advertising and he believed he had the backing of the UK public to make this bold claim. Uh, let me share this morning uh, something of what Peter had said and for the record, I never ever thought I'd be quoting Peter Andre <laughs> in a sermon in my entire life. So this is new for me. This is what he shared last week. Uh, while I acknowledge there are some extremely pleasant moments during Yuletide festivities, Christmas, these are normally fleeting and often come with a busy schedule, an empty wallet and not much to show otherwise. Strip back the gift giving, tinsel and twinkly lights and people are left with the stark reality that this time of year is cold, dark and expensive. Factor in the cost of living crisis, national strikes, overall price hikes and general low mood of the nation and you get my drift. Now, this morning I'm not going to stand here and say that um, everything of what Peter Andre says here is nonsense. Because the reality is, this is how some people are feeling. Uh, maybe this is you this morning. Maybe those lyrics in that song, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Maybe they grate on you. Because this is not your experience uh, of Christmas. This hasn't been your experience of past Christmases. You perhaps find this time of year the most difficult, the most depressing times of the year because of past experience because of present day experience. But Peter Andre does touch on something important here. The mood of a nation, let's be honest, the mood of a nation is pretty low at the moment and it has been low for a good period of time for a number of different reasons. The fuel crisis, the alarming rise in illness and death, much higher than expected. Our NHS is in crisis. Cost of living is through the roof. Trains are on strike. Society seems broken. Corruption is everywhere. People are fed up. People are fed up. Life seems no longer as fun as it used to be, let's be honest. And these circumstances that we find ourselves in can often dictate how we feel. So often the posture of our heart is connected to what is going on around us. So I'm in no doubt there are many, many people in our society and perhaps even some people in this room who are feeling, who are sensing this experience of hopelessness. You just feel hopeless in the midst of what is going on around you within your life. The reality is 
we live in one of the most insular moments in all of human history. So we have no concept of the fact that every chapter in history and in every part of the world, there has been seasons and situations of suffering and hardship and difficulty. And you might even argue, and I would personally argue this, the time we live in today is in fact a time in history where people have suffered the least. When compared to all of the other moments in human history, we've had it pretty good for a good period of time. And the truth is that the time and place of Jesus' birth was in fact a time and it was a place where people were suffering, people were finding it difficult, people were feeling hopeless. People were feeling hopeless. Their problems were nothing like our problems. They were different kinds of problems, but they were problems nonetheless. And their experience of suffering was just as real as our experience of suffering today. No doubt about it, their feelings of hopelessness were just as real as our feelings of hopelessness today. And in our passage this morning, we read about someone who suffered. We hear about Joseph in verses 4 to 5. Luke says, starting in verse 4, Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of a house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Now notice from these words, from this passage, it doesn't say that Mary was engaged to him and was pregnant by him. It's very important. This pregnancy was not from man, as we know. It was from God. It was a divine work of God in the life of Mary. But the problem was that no one knew that. No one knew that. All they saw was Mary pregnant before wedlock and Joseph in particular being left in a position within a society that was marked by honour and shame where he would have been shunned. No question about it. He would have been gossiped about. He would have had lots of questions about what was going on with him and Mary. And we read as much in Matthew 1 and verses 18 to 19. Matthew writes this, and it'll be up on the screen. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. All of his hopes, all of Joseph's dreams for this relationship were in tatters. And Joseph felt he had no other option apart from divorce. He felt that she was disgraced. Without question, he felt he himself was disgraced. So the conviction of his heart was to separate through divorce. So Joseph was in a hopeless situation and yet it all changes. Have a look at what we read in verses 20, 20 to 21. Matthew narrates, but after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So the angel tells Joseph, Joseph, do not worry. Do not worry. This is the opposite of what you think it is. This is not an unholy scandal. This is a holy work of God in the life of Mary and in your life. So Joseph 
could now look at a situation. He could see hopelessness, but now he could see hope in a moment through these simple and yet powerful words from the angel. Joseph could now look at his life through a completely different lens. Instead of feeling shunned and rejected by God, he could be confident that God was with him. In every sense of that phrase, God with him. God was with him. So Joseph, is it not the case that alongside Joseph, the testimony of Mary is also very similar. So we have Joseph. Let's just take a moment to think about Mary. Luke chapter 1, the passage we looked at last week, we read that Gabriel visits Mary, and Mary is deeply troubled. It says Mary was deep, not just troubled, she was deeply, deeply troubled. Hopelessness is probably not the word we would use, or maybe it is. But without question, she was worried and concerned by this encounter with Gabriel. She perhaps felt overwhelmed. Have a look at what we read in Luke 1 and verses 28 to 38. Luke tells us, And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favoured woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favour with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? So we see here, Mary is still pushing back. She was deeply troubled. She hears more about what's happening. She's still pushing back. She's possibly still troubled. Most certainly, she's unsure both of the messenger and the message. And then we read verse 35. The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is a sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And look at how Mary, Mary responds in verse 38. She responds with what can only be described as a declaration of hope. Recognizing that in the promises of God, there will in fact always be hope. Luke recounts, Mary says this, See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. And if that wasn't enough, Mary then bursts into a song of praise. Verse 46 through to 48, she says this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, because he has looked with favour on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So the question I want to ask this morning is, what is going on in the life of Mary here? What is happening to Mary? Well, what may have seemed a potentially hopeless situation, without question, it was a difficult situation, did in fact become the most hope-filled of situations and moments. She not only heard and understood what God had clearly said to her, she also chose to submit to what she had heard from God. So she received it, but she also surrendered to this plan. Her will surrendered to God's will, a recognition that his way is ultimately the only way. His way is ultimately the only way. And this is a message 
We all need to hear this morning. We need to hear this every day. It is not my way. It is not my will. It is God's way. It's God's will. In every scenario, in every circumstance, in every experience and situation we go through. So we see here, there was hope for Joseph and Mary. We also see this power of hope in the life of the shepherds. So Joseph and Mary went from hopelessness to hope. And the shepherds are similar as well. Have a look at what we see in verse 8 after the birth of Jesus. We read these words. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Now, this is something that was alluded to in our nativity. And many have argued that this verse is evidence that these shepherds were outcasts. Societal rejects, the scum of the earth. Uh, Aristotle, so I'm moving from Peter Andre to Aristotle, so it's good. Aristotle actually says this about the shepherds of his day. The laziest are shepherds who lead an idle life and get their sustenance without trouble from tame animals. Their flocks wandering from place to place in search of pasture. They are compelled to follow them, cultivating a sort of living farm. Other scholars have used this and gathered other external evidence to make this point that these shepherds were lazy, they were rejects, they were abandoned and neglected by society. Now, the problem we have with this idea might be true, might not be true. The text never says it. We never find this in scripture. It just speaks about where they were. So the shepherds were outside of the city. Um, a lot of the examples that are used to justify this narrative that shepherds were outcasts, including Aristotle's, were written hundreds of years before or after this biblical account. And also in a, in a location that was far removed from Jerusalem. And of course, let's not, just, let's not forget, it would make sense that as shepherds, they would be hanging outside of a city. You're not going to have shepherds with sheep in George Square equivalent within Jerusalem. So we don't actually know why it is that God chose shepherds. Perhaps because Jesus is our good shepherd, and this is a connecting point. Perhaps because the principle of shepherding, this idea of shepherding is such an important part of the early church. Or perhaps, as has been suggested, these men really were underdogs, rejects, and God wanted to lift them, God wanted to encourage them, God wanted to bless him. We don't know. What we can be certain of was that within this group of shepherds and how many of them there were, again, we do not know. There would have been those who were feeling or who had felt from time to time in the past hopeless. They would have felt hopeless. Perhaps completely and utterly hopeless because this job they had as shepherds, no question about it, it was a difficult job. It was a trying job. So the message of the angel of the Lord would have transformed whatever warped and sinful view they had about their life and this world they inhabited. So if they looked at their life, no doubt about it, they would have felt hopeless. They would have looked at the world around them and seen all of this inequality and experienced hopelessness. And yet when, they, when this angel arrives, suddenly they have this replacement of hopelessness with hope. They would have known without question that there is hope 
because of their encounter with the living God through the angel of the Lord and then afterwards through these heavenly hosts that accompanied them. And I say all of that because this is what we see in, in verse 9. Luke recalls, Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They weren't deeply troubled. They were, they were terrified. According to their interpretation, things were going from bad, their own lives, to worse. I'm guessing that many of them thought this was the end. This is us. We're going to die right now. Then look at what we read in verse 10. Similar to the experience of Joseph and Mary, Luke writes this, but, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And then from there, things start to escalate in terms of this angelic visitation. Verses 13 and 14, we read this. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Now, let's just take stock of what's going on here within this passage. Imagine being a shepherd in this moment. You know, we had two examples of shepherds. They looked pretty laid back when the angels turned up in our story this morning. But in the middle of the night, it's cold. You're tending your flock. You're chatting away to your fellow shepherd mates. The angel of the Lord appears with glory. God is shining all around them. Of course, it makes absolute sense. They would be terrified. They would be terrified. But then you choose, despite the fact you feel terrified, you choose to take hold of what the angel says. You actually take a moment to listen to the word of God and you realize that God is stepping into human history in a way that he has never stepped into human history before. Suddenly, you're going on this journey within your heart. You're moving from this place of terror to this place of excitement, from fear to peace, from hopelessness to hope. This was a testimony of his shepherds. And what we see next is the shepherds becoming the first ever evangelists in the Gospels. We read in verse 15 through to the end of, of the chapter in verse 20. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So God had met them. They had met with God. And from there, they couldn't help but worship. They couldn't help but share of all that God had done. It was burning in their hearts to worship God and to then declare all that God had done for them in their lives. No question, these were the first ever evangelists. So this morning, should the shepherd's story not also be your story as well? Is it not as simple as that for you and for me as we think of their example? Is it not the case that if you love Jesus today, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, not necessarily a Christian, 
but someone who follows Christ, a believer of the way, a follower of the way. If that's your testimony today, then God has met you. You have met with God. And the call upon your life is to worship God and to witness him to those who have yet to encounter him. This is a testimony of the shepherds. This is your testimony as well. Or as Jesus says in Matthew's gospel uh, and elsewhere, in light of the love of God for you, your command, the command that God has given you is to live out the great command and to fulfill the great commission. The great command to love the Lord your God with all that you are, with all of your heart, mind, strength and soul. The great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. This is a shepherd's story. Is this not also your story? The reality is that like Joseph, like Mary, like the shepherds, <clears throat> we all tend to have these little moments of feeling hopeless, of being afraid, of not knowing what to do. Perhaps even in this past week, you felt hopeless. You've been afraid. You've been uncertain about what to do. And sometimes all of that can happen at the same time, in the same moment. So what is the solution to that? How is it that you can move from a place of hopelessness to hope? Well, notice the same angelic response is found in the encounters with Joseph, with Mary, and with the shepherds. There's a clear unpacking of what God is doing from the angels to the individuals we are speaking to. He is sending his one and only son into the world. And why is God doing that? Because God himself is on a rescue mission. A rescue mission that will bring us back to God. A rescue mission for anyone who will choose to respond in faith to this message. The angels save us to Joseph. The angels save us to Mary. The angels save us to the shepherds. This is the gospel. And this is a message for you and for me. In each of our examples, there's not only an understanding of what is being said, there's also a surrender to what is being said. Because it's one thing to, to know the gospel, it's another thing to then surrender your life to the gospel. And when we look at these examples of Joseph, Mary and the shepherds, we see individuals who have surrendered their lives to this reality of the gospel. And nothing has changed for you and for me. Nothing has changed. This ought to be our response as well. I say ought to be because we have this propensity to not follow in this way. We can say we know the gospel, but can we honestly say that we live the gospel day to day? You know, we may live thousands of years later in a completely different context to these biblical accounts, but you need to understand this morning the solution to your hopelessness and your fear is one of hope and peace. And you need to understand this hope and this peace can only ever be found in one person. His name is Jesus. So if you want to journey from hopelessness to hope and fear to peace, the answer is Jesus. It is only through Jesus that we can experience this. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Stop wasting your time. Stop wasting your time. Let me, as, let me be as so bold to say this morning, do not waste your life. Do not waste your life in pursuing the things of this world 
instead of pursuing Christ. So hear the Christmas message of Jesus. Perhaps this is the first time you have heard this message. Choose to have everything of your life orient around this person who loves you, who lived for you, who died for you, so that he could take your sin from you, who rose from the dead, so that you could have this incredible future before you. Take hold of all, all that God has done for you, so that you can say with absolute certainty there is hope. If you have yet to experience that reality, do that today. Maybe you need to hear the Christmas message again. And this is something you've heard before. Maybe it's been hundreds of times before you have heard the story of Christmas, the story of the gospel again and again and again. And you have at some point in your life responded to faith in Christ. You may call yourself a follower of Jesus today. And you may find yourself in a place where you feel hopeless. So you call yourself a follower, but in reality today, right now, on the 18th of December, 2022, you feel hopeless. So what is the solution for you? How is it that you can move from hopelessness to hope? Well, the same way for Joseph, the same way for Mary, the same way for the shepherds, the same way for every single unbeliever who comes to that place of faith and hope. If God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son to die for you in your place for your sins, if he loves you that much that he would do that for you, he loves you also to help you in the midst of what you're facing. If Jesus died for your sins, and that is a, an amazing gift that you have received today, you can also know that Jesus is going to help you in the midst of the particular circumstances that you're facing as the writer to the Hebrews so confidently declares in Hebrews 4.16, Therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, confidence, expectation that God is going to answer our prayers. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This mercy and grace, yes, praise God, it is salvation. We receive mercy and grace when we come as unrepentant sinners to a place of repentance, that's a moment for each one of us. It's a moment that many of us have experienced in our lives. But it's also mercy and grace in the midst of all the different challenges and difficulties, the ups and downs of life. We can come boldly to this throne of grace and ask for salvation, but also ask for strength and help and power in the midst of all that we face. So brothers and sisters, take hold of God's goodness towards you as your faith-filled answer to the hopelessness that you're facing today. Yes, I feel hopeless. I want to get to that place of hope and it is God's goodness through the person of Jesus that will get me to that place of experiencing his love, his grace, his mercy, his hope. Amen? Amen. Have a look at what Tim Keller says uh, on, his, on this subject. <clears throat> in his book, Hidden Christmas. So Keller says this, um, if you take time to comprehend, behold, what is in the gospel message, it will, re it will remove the fear that has dominated and darkened your life. To the degree you truly behold, gaze at, grasp, relish, internalize, rejoice in the gospel, to that degree the fears of your life will be undermined. What is this gospel, this good news, at which we must gaze? It's the person of Jesus. It's the person of Jesus. 
So we often think, you know, I've, I prayed a prayer, I made that decision, I followed Jesus, and that's, that's in the past, and now I just need to get on with, with getting on with my life. But what Kyla says here and what we find throughout the Gospels is that we come to the Gospel, we meditate on this truth of who God is and what he has done for us, and that helps us in the present day challenges that we face. So, to anyone who has yet to encounter Jesus this morning, let me just encourage you to receive him today. Let me or let someone you know and trust who loves the Lord pray with you and pray for you that you might come to that fresh experience of his love. Uh, to anyone who has encountered Jesus, again, as I've already said, you feel overwhelmed, you feel hopeless. Uh, we would count it a privilege to pray with you and to pray for you in the midst of what you're facing. And it might be for something specific. It might be a situation you're in the middle of. It could be a fear that you're carrying, a decision you have to make. It might be an illness, a sickness that you have. Speak to myself, TJ or Paul. Speak to someone you know who loves the Lord. And we will take time this morning to pray. In the midst of us having soup and having fellowship together, we can find space uh, to pray for you in whatever it is you face. We meet together on Sundays. We do so because we want to encounter God. And it's through his body, the church, that we do that. And one of the biggest challenges and difficulties of lockdown was the fact that we were isolated. We were separate. And it's such a blessing that we can be together as a church family. And we meet God as we meet one another, as we have fellowship together, as we sing, as we pray, as we listen to the word together, and as we encourage one another, even as we admonish each other. All of it is a way in which we can encounter God through his body, the church. So do respond in prayer this morning. Do maximize this gift that God has given you, his body, the church. This morning we also, in response, we want to come to the table. <clears throat> Without question, we come to this table recognizing it symbolizes hope. This is a table of hope for you and for me. The cradle of Jesus' birth points to the cross of Jesus' death. His death on the cross for you and for me means that we can experience relationship with him. We can experience relationship with the God who created all things, who has gifted us in so many different ways and who blesses us and helps us and ministers to us. This table points to the fact that we have access to God. And what an incredible gift that we can think about and reflect on over the Christmas season. As the Apostle John writes, Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, because of his love, he made right what we did wrong, what Andrew was talking about, Genesis chapter three. We've messed up. Messed up with a capital M and a capital U. This world is broken. We are broken. We have chosen to go our own way and do our own thing. And yet Jesus made it all right. Christmas points to the fact that Jesus made it right. Amen. He sacrificed his very self for our sake. It was on a night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So we take this bread this morning, we drink this cup and we do so proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. So let us respond in worship 
Let us respond in prayer in these various ways. And let us respond this morning, if we love the Lord today, by coming to this table, by taking this bread, by drinking this cup, by saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that Christmas is all about you. It's none of this nonsense that can so often surround Christmas. It's all about you, and it's all about your perfect gift for each one of us. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you that, that you are good <coughs> and that you love us and you want the very best for us. And often that can, can be through difficult moments and seasons of life. <clears throat> we pray, Lord, that, that by your spirit, uh, you would take us uh, and that you would um, mold us more into your likeness. Lord, we, we pray that uh, later on as we, as we have a time of fellowship and a, a time of lunch together and a time where we can have conversations and even pray for each other, that you would bless that time. And we also ask, as we have prayed already, that you would guide us to divine appointments in the streets as we hand out these selection boxes and invite people along to our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services. Lord, we pray that, that you would empower us, that this would not be something we are trying to do on our own strength, but we would humbly come before you and recognize that you will lead our feet, that you will lead our, you would guide us in the words that we speak and that you would bless us as we meet with those who have yet to encounter you. We thank you for this time, Lord. We pray that you bless us as we now respond in worship. And it's in your powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen.